Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Did you stand up on your feet this morning? If you're able to, boy, it's so good to see your faces. You have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, pretty good. Eat a lot? Yeah, take some naps? It was like the one day that I didn't get a nap during Thanksgiving break was Thanksgiving itself. Like the devil was against me or something, I don't know. Well, congratulations on making it to church this morning. <laughs> Y'all are like the remnant here. I was thinking about John chapter 6 as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. There's a group of people around Jesus and they said to him, Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Like we're hearing you, we see you, and we want to sign up. Like what do we need to do to do the works that God requires? And you know what Jesus said? He said that the work of God is this to believe in the one that he has sent. And when, you, when you're in this for any length of time, you realize that sounds simple, but it's actually in some ways, it's the hardest thing in the world. One guy said to Jesus, he said, Lord, I do believe, but you gotta help me overcome my unbelief. And the truth is that the only way that we can overcome the unbelief in our hearts, the only way that we can believe in the one that God has sent is if God sends the spirit into our hearts to give us the gift of faith. And so you might be here this morning, you're thinking, gosh, it was all I could do just to drag myself to church. I don't even know if I can worship this morning. You can't worship, none of us can. But we can if the Holy Spirit inhabits our hearts. The Holy Spirit can awaken faith in us. The Holy Spirit can awaken worship in us. The Holy Spirit will put praise on our lips. And so what must we do to do the works that God requires? We're just opening ourselves up to God. We're saying, God, give the gift to your Holy Spirit. God, help us believe in the one that you've sent. So would you do that this morning, church? So open your hands. And would you now just begin to welcome the presence of the Spirit into your life? We say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We're praying that you'd saturate us just down to the very center of who we are. We're praying that, that your light would dispel all the darkness of our hearts. We're praying that you would put the gift of faith in us to teach us to believe again in the one that God has sent. I'm asking that you would open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. I'm asking that you would open our ears so that we could hear the words of God. I'm asking that you would strengthen our will so that we can do all of the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. We're asking this morning that you would make us the people of God all over again. Baptize us, baptize us, Jesus. The scripture says that you're the one who would come and baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what God does is God rips us into God. He pulls us into God. So we're saying, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pull us into you this morning. And may we be dazzled by the goodness of God, caught up in the wonder of Father, Son, and Spirit. Grant it, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and your ways are the only ways for me. It's a narrow road, it's a narrow road that leads to life, and I want to be on it. It's a narrow road, but the mercy is wide, 
Did you get on your promise? Come on, sing it out. I'll take, I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I believe it. See it how good it works. If it's hard, it'll complete it. I'll take you at your word. seen it in my life. It's a narrow road. It's a narrow road that leads to life. But I want to be on it.
out with every breath
deserve our praise. We give you everything. We give you the glory. It's what we're made to do. So would you just allow your heart to just be bent to the Lord right now and say, God, we focus on you. You deserve it all. Because you deserve it all. You deserve it all. We give you the highest praise. Because you deserve it all. about the Lord and how he 
up out of that pit. Jesus. 
say that Jesus is worthy because what we recognize when we look at him is not just his goodness, not just his kindness to us, not even just the ways that he's like, you know, pulled us out of the pit of our lives. But what I think is worthy about recognizing about Jesus sometimes is that he's excellent in every way. Like in every way possible, Jesus is, he's not just competent. He's like above competent. And you know what's beautiful about the way our God works is he's actually willing to like bestow the ability to be excellent upon you. So an encouraging word to you, New Life East, uh, when God looks at you, he says you are in fact excellent. So there's a little pat on the back for, for you today if you've been coming in with some heaviness. In the West, in the Western world, we like to be excellent. You guys, you drive excellent cars. Around the holidays, you rearrange your house so that it looks excellent so that when people come in, they think that it's always looked this nice. You're excellent at your jobs, at your work. You're, you're good at what you do. What I think is interesting, there's a line in one of Paul's letters as he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says these words. He says, but since you excel in everything, you can hear it since you are excellent in everything that you do in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. Since you are good at everything, see that you also excel in this, in this grace of giving. Isn't it interesting? Giving in the scriptures is not a burden. It's not this like, transaction. In fact, for Paul, what giving is, is it's something to excel at. It's something worth being good at, but it's also a grace, which means it's a gift. Somehow it is a gift to you to bestow gifts upon others. And just last week, we do this every year at New Life East. We have something called Adopt a Family. We had 92 families and 71, no, 73 of those families were adopted last week. So give yourself a hand. That's your generosity in action. But what it means is that we have 19 more families. Their names are represented on a table in the cafeteria and there are 19 more families that need to be adopted. 19 more families that what you can do is excel in your giving. 19 more families that can experience the gift that God has bestowed on you to be a gift to them. And it's not enough just to adopt these families. What I think we ought to do this morning is that's 92 families who have been entrusted to us to make sure that they have a celebratory Christmas. But it's also 92 families that I think what we can do is pray over them and their kids this morning. So New Life East, I wanna invite you, open up your hands, extend your hands, however you wanna do, posture yourself to think about those 92 names that are on those papers that have been picked up by the people who call New Life East home. God, we lift all those names up to you. 
We know that those are people that you have entrusted us with because they're your people, God. We wanna do, we wanna be honored. We wanna honor them with this grace to excel in giving to those who are in need. So God, we pray over them that this Christmas would be a Christmas unlike one they have had before, that with every gift that they open, with every bag that they receive, with with every card that they, they flip open and read, blessings, that they would hear your voice, that they would have some sense that the God of the universe has touched their lives, even for just a moment. And God, what is true about giving, your son Jesus said this, that the right hand does not need to know what the left hand is doing. We don't need credit for that generosity, God. We hope that they would receive these gifts and they would look upon you, that they would somehow see you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the great giver of all things. We pray blessings over those 92 families. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. A couple of announcements for you. You're gonna heard me say this, but we have 19 more families that you can stop by in the cafeteria, adopt them, pick them up, help make their Christmas a joy. December 3rd is when? Next Sunday. Next Sunday, what happens here at New Life East? one service right here in this room for the foreseeable future, which means you should show up early because the parking lot is going to be full because all of those 11 o'clock people are showing up too. Show up early, get here, coffee and donuts after service as always. It's going to be a blast. One last thing I want to tell you about, Pastor Andrew talked about this. We are hosting uh, an outreach trip next summer, heading to Uganda over in Africa. Pastor Andrew is going to lead that trip. We would love for you to be a part of that. If you want to know more about it, or if you want to fill out the application early to be a part of it, you can simply go to newlifechurch.org, find the application, fill it out, and be a part of that with us. It is going to be great. Now, we're going to open up the scriptures here in just a moment, but why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you. invite you to take your seat. Good to see you. As always, New Life East. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Like I said, at the top of the service, ours was a joy. We had a beautiful week together as a family. And uh, many wonderful things on Thanksgiving Day. The Packers won. That felt like a miracle to me. Giving thanks to God still uh, for that one. But uh, been a good week for us. Good to see you in here this morning. Uh, Pastor Rory mentioned December 3rd. So next Sunday, we go from two services down to one service. And so we feel like we're heading into a season as a church 
that's going to require a lot of unity from us. So part of the reason uh, is not just a space thing, but it's really about us just getting our bodies as a whole church back together in the room, seeing each other's faces, feeling the faith coming from one another, and really regrouping as a community. So it's going to be a beautiful thing. So 10 a.m. next Sunday. And then you'll also remember that next Sunday uh, we're taking up at New Life East the first of a series of special offerings that we're going to start taking up to begin to raise money for a facility one day. So expansion on the east side of the city. And uh, we've been saying, I don't want to belabor this point because you've heard us mention it every week, uh, really for the last couple months. But Paul says, let each person decide what they, in their heart, they would like to give. This is from the same passage that Rory read from earlier. But let each person give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly. Everybody say, not reluctantly. Or under compulsion. Everybody say, not or under compulsion. And then Paul says that this is the reason why. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody say, God loves a cheerful giver. And so we're calling our whole community to participate in this, but to do it in a way that you're led to do it. Do it in a way where it feels like worship to you. Do it in a way where it feels like joy to you. And some of you have been in a season of strength for a long time. And you have a lot of extra that you can give towards this. And so give in a way that feels like worship to you. And some of you are in a place where it's been a struggle of late for you, struggling to make ends meet, and you're not sure how much you've got. And you remember there are these examples all throughout the scripture of people that are at the end of their tether, all of a sudden summoning up the strength to be generous, and God blesses them. And so as you, if that's you, if that's the spot that you're in, when you come next week, they're given away that feels like a joy to you. We're going to have, just to give you a little uh, inside scoop on how this is going to work, we're going to give. So this is, by the way, I'll just also mention this, that this is over and above your regular tithes. So the tithe is what we use to just kind of keep the house of God going, all the normal stuff. But every once in a while, we give special offerings that are over and above to fuel the work of God. So don't switch your tithe over to this because it actually doesn't really help us. We need our general fund to be what our general fund is. We give extra and beyond. What we're going to do is after the second song of worship, we'll have four giving stations that are set up around the auditorium here. And then we're going to call you guys forward to give or call you to the back and give. And we'll just be able to see the whole church engage with this. If you've got little kids in the house, have them bring something to give. We'll have envelopes on the seats. Some of you do normal like you do your giving is like electronic giving. But Mandy and I next week, we normally do that too. But we're going to write a check just so that we've got something physically to give. And there really is something beautiful. You know, we were singing it in this song earlier that here at the altar, I lay me down. There's something beautiful about us bringing our gifts to the altar of God. Like saying, God, here it is. Like take this now. Just like Jesus did in the gospels with the loaves and with the fishes. Like here it is. This is all we've got. But you can do more. So would you take this? Would you take the little bit that we have, take it and bless it and break it? And would you use this to fuel your own work? Like feed the multitudes with this, God. So come ready. I think it's going to be a really beautiful and a really powerful Sunday. And just so you know, also, uh, there's really a groundswell, like something amazing is happening at New Life Church. You know that we're doing this offering next week at the same time that New Life North is having their last offering to pay off all the debt on that big building up there. And as Pastor Brady and the rest of us as a team are heading into that offering up there, uh, there really is confidence just based on confident conversations we've had with folks around the congregation that that two, it's, I think it's just under $2 million right now, that that bill is as good as paid and that what comes in on December 3rd is going to be over and above that, which then goes just to like help out congregations like us and downtown and Manitou Springs. So I'm saying that you're not giving uphill. We're really giving downhill. Like the work of God is happening and the spirit of God, like the wind is blowing at our backs. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Okay.
I had thought we just finished up a series on First Kings. Uh, Advent starts next Sunday, so we had this little like gap in the schedule here. And I was like, well, maybe since we're going to do this special offering on the third, maybe I'll give a like a message on stewardship. And so I kind of started writing up that message. And then I was like, I don't want to preach this. I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about money. What I want to talk about is I want to talk about Jesus. And what is so amazing is that we're the church. We get to talk about Jesus every single Sunday. But also, there is a, in, the, in the church calendar, this moment, this last Sunday before Advent, is something that's known as Christ the King Sunday. And so as we head into this season where we look ahead to the coming of Jesus into our midst, what we remember and affirm in this moment is Jesus is not just one man among many, not just one human among many on planet Earth, but Jesus is the Lord of the whole earth. He's the King of the world. And so we celebrate that on Christ the King Sunday. So I got a little message for you on Christ the King. And uh, before we get into the text of Scripture, let's pray. We would just have our hearts melt in your presence, Jesus. We'd be undone by you. Pray that all the blindness of our hearts you'd remove. We pray that all of the twistedness of our hearts you'd straighten out. We pray that all the hardness of our hearts, we pray it would be softened by your touch, by your presence. I was reminded as we were singing how often in the Gospels people would fall down at the feet of Jesus. They would kneel before you. And sometimes they knelt in need. Master, help. And sometimes they knelt in gratitude. Thank you. I pray that this morning we would find our way to our knees. Whether in need or in gratitude. I pray that we would find ourselves. Well, Paul says, talking about the kingship of Jesus. One day, at the name of Jesus, at the end of all things, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that this morning by the Spirit we'd be swept up into that. We'd find ourselves falling apart at the feet of Jesus, and as we do that, that we'd remember who we are and what our mission is in the world. Grant that, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. The kingship of God, God reigns, is really the universal affirmation of all of Scripture from beginning to end. And that is what we celebrate on Christ the King Sunday. And if you wanted to go to uh, some places in the Scripture where you could see this, uh, quite honestly, you could almost drop in at any page, but the psalmist the psalmist celebrates the good reign of our God everywhere. So here's the second psalm. Watch this. The psalmist says, why do the nations conspire? And the people's plot in vain. They have all of these ideas about how they think the earth should go. But he's like, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers are banding together against the Lord and against his anointed ones saying, uh, let us break off their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse four. The, but, but the one enthroned in heaven, I always love this psalm. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. It's like, oh yeah, really cute, you know. 
The Lord scoffs at them, verse 5, and then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, verse 6, I've installed my king on Zion, uh, my holy mountain. Verse 7, uh, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begun become your father. So the kings of the earth, they're all banding together to rise up against God, and God's like, oh, so nice. Do you know I'm actually the king? And do you know that the one that I've installed, my Messiah, is actually king? Psalm 99 in a similar vein, says this, the Lord reigns. He just goes out and says it. I love that. The nations tremble. He sits in throne between the cherubim. Uh, Let the earth shake, verse 2. Great is the Lord in Zion. He's exalted over all the nations, verse 3. Let them praise your great and holy and awesome name, for you are holy, verse 4. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You've established equity. And in Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. So again, it's the universal affirmation of the scriptures that our God reigns. But when you start drilling into the details, you know, like what does it mean that our God reigns? What does it mean that he's king over all? If all we were going by is just kind of what we have learned about rulership, leadership, kingship from the kings of the earth we might be led to a mistaken view of what our God is like, what the kingship of God is like. So what's so fascinating is that when you look at the texts that the church has traditionally read for Christ the King Sunday to describe what the reign of our good King Jesus looks like, well, it looks like texts like this. Listen to this, Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I'm going to look after my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'm going to bring them out from the nations. I'm going to gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And there they will lie down in a good grazing land. There they will lie down in a good grazing land and there they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. And then listen to this. He says, I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And so when we start getting into the details of what the good reign of our good God looks like, it doesn't just look like exerting power over the whole world, but it looks like this specific care for the lost and the last and the least, those that have been pushed to the edges, the marginalized and the vulnerable. That's what the reign of our God looks like. And if that wasn't enough, Ezekiel chapter 34, the church also gives us this text to ponder and to meditate for Christ the King Sunday, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34, then the king, the ruler of all things, Jesus is talking about himself. He'll say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was, what does the text say there, church? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. So what does the good reign of our good God expressed in King Jesus look like? 
It looks like that. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I needed clothes and you closed me. I was sick and in prison and you looked after me. I needed things and you took care of me. Whatever you did for the least one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The good reign of our good God and our good King Jesus is not the kind of reign that's sort of, you know, boastful and proud and look at me and I'm just so amazing. It's the kind of love that gets down on its hands and knees and it takes care of the most vulnerable, giving them a seat in the kingdom of God, a seat of honor in the kingdom of God. So let me ask you a question this morning, church little catechism class for you. What, 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 what is the point of the church? We've got a slide for this. It's coming. That's why I'm wandering over to the screen here. What's the point of the church? What's the point of the church? And there's a lot of different ways that we could answer this question because the church is a multidimensional reality. What's the point of the church? Here's one way of answering this question on Christ the King Sunday. It's to be the place on earth where the reign of King Jesus is made manifest. The reign of King Jesus that looks like that, that we just read from Matthew chapter 25. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was sick. I was in prison. I was naked. I needed clothes. You, you did all of these things for me. What's the point of the church? The point of the church is to be a place where the reign of our good King Jesus is made manifest. I'm telling you that when it happens in the church, it is the most beautiful thing on planet earth. When somehow we see the tenderness of God made manifest in human lives. It's unlike anything that I know. It's unlike anything that I know. I remember talking to a woman one time, grew up in Iran. She grew up Muslim. Her and her husband were dutiful, uh, law-abiding, law-observant Muslims their whole lives. But somewhere along the line, something had happened in them where they started becoming less and less convinced that their Muslim faith was true. And they ran into some Christians. And these Christians invited them to their little house church. It's Iran, so you can't really worship publicly. And so they got invited to the house church. And week after week, this underground house church in Iran, they kept getting invited back and invited back. And they kept coming back. And she said it was the most remarkable thing. She said, these people just loved me and they cared for me. And they took me in and they kept drawing us in. And she said, you know, it's a good thing to be a woman. She said, and it's a good thing to be Iranian. She said, but it's a really difficult thing to be an Iranian Muslim woman. She goes, there was something about our faith just as a woman that I always felt like, <laughs> she said, I felt like I was always pushed to the side and excluded, that I was always pushed to the edges. She said, and then I started coming around the people of God. I started coming to this church. And whereas all my life I had felt by my Muslim faith getting pushed to the side, she said, I found that Jesus kept dragging me into the middle. And they gave their lives to the Lord. How did that happen? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick. I was in prison. You looked after me. I was over on the edges and you drew me to the middle. And because you brought me into the middle, I saw that our King Jesus was actually the one that took those that were seated in the ashes and sat them up with the princes. All of a sudden, this woman understands herself rightly. She understands herself to be royalty because the people of God rose up into their vocation. Are you tracking with me this morning, church? Do you understand that that's the vocation of the church? That it's to be the place on planet earth with the reign of our good King Jesus is made manifest. Paul says it so clearly in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the universal reign of Jesus. He says that God placed all things under his feet. Whose feet? 
Jesus' feet, all things that are under King Jesus' feet, that appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. Then church, say this real loud, the next part of it. What is his body? It's the fullness. What's the church? The church is the body of Jesus. Bodies are how we are actual. Bodies are how we are available to someone. So how is Jesus Christ, who has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, how is Jesus Christ available to the world? Through his what? Which, which is who? And we are also, this is crazy. I'll never get over this text. He says that the church is the fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. The church is to be like this gateway. The church is like a portal. Do you remember how Jacob, he laid his head down on a rock when he was wandering away and he saw the, saw the stairway to heaven and angels of God ascending and descending and all that. And he says, surely he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. He says, surely this is the house of God. Surely this is the gate of heaven. Do you understand that that's what the church is called to be? That the church is called to be the house of God. The church is called to be the gate of heaven. The church is called to be that place where the kingdom of God comes spilling over and over and over again into the world. This is why Augustine, the great saint and theologian of the church, one of the things that he said was he said that when you think about Christ Jesus, you can't just think about Jesus all by himself up there in heaven, but you always have to think about Jesus with his body because the head cannot be severed from the body. That's not a living thing. Head and body go together. And he called this in Latin the totus Christus, the total Christ. That when we refer to Jesus Christ, we can't just refer to the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, but we also have to refer to the one who is building a body for himself, constructing a place for himself on planet Earth, his people. How does the reign of King Jesus come into the world? Hold up a mirror, guys. It's through you or it's through no one at all. Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Spanish nun, said this. She says, Christ has no body but yours. Do you understand that? That the body of Jesus is not somewhere else? There is no body that Jesus has except yours. She says, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body but yours. The only way that Jesus does what he needs to do on planet earth is through his people. You are his plan A and there is no plan B. Do you know that? Do you know what I love about you, New Life East? Having been your pastor for four years, how consistently you embody this as a community. This kind of thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, this kind of thing that Teresa of Avila talks about, this kind of thing that Paul was gesturing towards, this happens week after week after week after week at New Life East. Jake and Courtney Norman are sitting over here. A lot of you know the Normans. Normans have been foster parents for the last several years. We told their story in a couple different ways, and they've had lots of different kids come through their house, and they got a couple little boys that became part of their family, I don't know, six, nine months ago. Maybe I can't remember how long ago it was, and we've done this for them on occasion with these little ones that they have come through. They'll say, hey, you know, we can't because of confidentiality issues. 
We can't get up here on the platform and do like a formal dedication for them. But if we could do like a little backroom prayer dedication for them, that, that would be great. And so they had these two little boys and we did a little backroom dedication with them. And I remember meeting these two little boys. And some of you that serve in kids ministry, you know these guys, they're awesome. They're awesome. And when they first became part of our community, man, they were just so kind of rambunctious and a little erratic. And I remember we were in a classroom back there and I pulled out my little vial of anointing oil, you know, and I got down low. And I said to them, hey, guys, I explained what I was about to do. And I said, so can we pray for you? And the one, the oldest one, uh, whose name starts with the letter B, and I was calling him Big B. I said, can I pray for you, Big B? And he was like, no. And he kind of jerked his head away, you know. And I was like, you little son of a gun, you know, I'm going to get you. But we did that prayer time over there, you know, and I finally got, you know, made the sign of the cross in his forehead, you know, and just, as always, just calling for the presence of the Spirit upon these little guys. And then we're also entrusting ourselves to God as a community that will be the kind of place where they can find God week after week after week after week. These boys come, and if you know these boys, you know you've watched the transformation in them. And I'll see the Normans come marching through the doors every Sunday, and little Big B comes trotting in, and that dude, man, he is fly. Uh, He's just looking good every single Sunday, you know, and I'll look at him and I'll go, Big B, you look great today, man. He came in with these awesome boots this morning. I was like, those boots are so sweet. I want those boots when you're done with them. He goes, your feet are too big. I said, we'll make it work in Jesus' name, you know. The Normans also have two little girls with them now. About a month ago, they asked us if we could do one of these little prayer times for them. So we went upstairs into a classroom and we got everybody together and I pulled out the vial of anointing oil and we anointed the little girls in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and we prayed over them. And then Jake and Courtney said, hey, can you also pray for the boys? Just the ongoing, the ongoing work of the Spirit would continue with them. And so I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that. And so I've got the oil in my hand and I get down in front of Big B and I said, Big B, how can I pray for you guys? And you know what he said? He's six years old. He said, could you pray that my mom and dad would make better choices? Can you imagine that? Six years old, that weight on your shoulders every week and you're thinking about that, just pray that my mom and dad would make better choices. I said, man, I would love to pray for that. So I got down on my knees and I anointed him again in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and I prayed over him and I prayed over his brother. And then you know what Big B did? He goes, can I pray for you? Like, I'm not a man to turn down prayer. I said, okay. And then he goes, can I have that oil? (laughs) I forked it over to him. Stick his little finger in there. And this little guy, which was so erratic and rambunctious and all over the map, I mean, like a priest of God, went around to all 10 of us in the room, dunked his finger in there, anointed us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and prayed God's blessing on our heads. I've been your pastor for four years. There are a lot of things to celebrate. There's a ton of stuff about you that I'm really, really proud of. But stuff like that, that you can be the kind of community that carries things like that, what kind of a difference have you made in this guy's, in this kid's life? He legit acted like a priest of God. Do you know why he acted like a priest of God? Yeah, because he is a priest of God. And do you know where that happened? That happened here. Somehow he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Somehow he discovered who he is. Somehow he discovered his divine vocation. And all of a sudden he's becoming a channel of grace to, to other people. What's the point of the church, guys? It's to be the kind of place where things like that can take place over and over and over again. And there's so much to be proud of about you, but I'm proudest of stuff like that. 
I'm proudest that you're the kind of people that carry that sort of ethos. And you know this as well as I do because you read the headlines just like I do. We are living in an incredibly brutal world. Wars raging in Ukraine and Gaza, a world that is constantly tearing itself to shreds. And we wonder constantly who's in charge? Who's going to put the world back together again? You know what the, the answer of the church is to that question? Jesus is in charge. And do you know how he's going to put the world back together again? Hold up the mirror one more time. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. And he has no body on earth but yours. And when we live into who we are as the people of God, it makes a difference in the world. You guys, some of you know our life safety team. Our life safety team is so awesome. Can we give it up for the life safety team? Uh, New Life Church, New Life East, these guys here week in and week out keeping us safe. It's so amazing. And we have the little company that we contract with. You've probably seen some of them standing out there on some Sundays. And they help us. They kind of augment our life safety. And those folks are standing outside and they're keeping watch over us with our life safety team week after week after week. And there's one of the members of that contract, a team that we contract, not a believer, but here every single week. And Jeff Cowell over here, he puts on a little Bible study for all the life safety team. And so he does this, this, this Bible study on Sunday mornings. And it's not just the life safety team, but it's all of those folks who are contracted by us. They also show up. And so they feed on the scriptures together and they pray over each other and all of that. And this one gal who's part of that team, she did not born and raised in church. She got no contacts, no background in the church. She's not a Christian at all. And she said to one of the members of our life safety team one Sunday, she goes, I don't know what it is about you guys. She goes, but when the doors to that place open, you can feel the love pouring out. And I'm like counting down the Sundays until she falls down on her knees and she confesses that Jesus is the son of God. That's our vocation. We're here not for ourselves. Do you know that? We're here for the sake of others. We're here for the sake of the mission of God. We're we're here for all of those that do not currently name the name of Jesus. We're here for all of those who have not yet come to taste and see that the Lord is good. Think about what Jesus says in John chapter 10. You're starting at verse 14. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Verse 15, it just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Aren't you so glad for that? That we are the sheep or the flock of God. He knows us and we know him just as he knows the Father and the Father knows him. We're caught up. It's like this entanglement of knowledge and loving. But then watch what Jesus says. He says, I have, what does the text say, church? I got other sheep that are not of this pen also. And I must bring them in. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. And I think about New Life East and I think about the start of New Life East. And I think about something that Pastor Brady said in the very earliest days. Some of you might remember this if you were part of kind of our launch process. One of the things that he said over and over and over again was that we are not launching New Life East to create a convenient option for new lifers who live on the east side of the city. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> He said, we're starting New Life East because there are people over there on the east side of the city that Jesus is seeking out and he needs to pull them into a community and we want to have a community for them to come into. Why do we exist? We exist for all of those like Big B 
And like that life safety contract gal, and like there are some of you in this room that you didn't know Jesus. And somehow it's through the kindness and the love and the goodness of the people that are in this room that you got drawn into the circle of divine love. Why would we give, why would we take up a special offering? Why would we do any of that? You know why we would do it? Because we're trying to establish an outpost for the reign of our good King Jesus on the east side of the city. That's the whole reason. That's why we would do it. And I don't know if you know this. And with this, I'm going to call the band forward and we're going to come to the table of the Lord. But the local church is so important for communities. It's so important for people's lives. Some of you in this room, your life was saved. It was literally saved by the local church. Like you were at the end of the line, the end of the robe, the end of your tether, and somebody from the church found you and brought you into the saving knowledge of God. Do you know how critical the local church is? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, God's intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. The only way that the world knows anything about our God made known in Jesus is because there is a church, a local church that embodies it. And every year in America, I don't know if you know this statistic, but every year in America, 3,000 churches are planted, which sounds amazing until you learn the flip side of that statistic, that 4,500 churches close their doors in America every year. So is the scripture true or not? That God is trying to reach the world through the church, that our King Jesus is reaching the world through the church. And if he is, then we can do nothing better than to throw ourselves into our identity and the effort of being the local church. Can you receive that this morning, church? Would you stand to your feet? And this morning is a chance to offer ourselves one more time to Jesus. And so I want you just to open your hands like this. We do this so often around here and you cannot do it enough in your faith. You're bundling up all that you are. You're bundling up all that you have, all of your energy, all of your hopes, all your dreams, all your finances, all the gifts of the spirit that have been given to you, all of it. You're bundling it all up and you're doing what Paul says. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And so Jesus, it's our privilege and it's our honor and it's our joy to offer ourselves to you fully, completely holding nothing back because you offered yourself to us. Fully, completely holding nothing back and you also offer yourself to the world fully, completely and holding nothing back. And so we ask this morning that as we come to the table of the Lord, one more time we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would get caught up in the vortex of your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then he says that he's given to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Ours are the eyes, ours are the hands, ours are the feet. And you have no body on planet earth but ours. And today we give ourselves to you again. And so we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of 
me. So Jesus, take it this morning. The bread and the cup, bless it, break it, give it to us again. And help us remember who we are. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, we invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. As always, communion will be on my right and my left. Up front here as you come, you'll come row by row up the center aisle. The server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, I say to you that these are the gifts of God and they're given for the people of God. This is his body broken for you. And I say to you what Augustine said to the church many years ago. He says that when you come to the altar here and you look at the broken body and the shed blood, you're not just seeing him, but you're seeing yourself because we are the body of Christ. And so he says, believe what you see and become what you are the very body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, come forward and receive. It was a moment when the lights went out When death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life darkest day in history there on a cross they made for sinners for every curse his blood atones one final breath and it was finished but not the end we could have known for the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens
been singing the old chorus lately. Some of you probably remember it. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Yeah, you knew it. Be glorified. Can we make this our prayer? In my life, Lord, be today. Let's sing it one more time. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Be really no prayer that we could pray that's bigger than that. Paul says that his desire is that now as always Christ would be exalted in his body whether by life or by death. And so we pray that whether by life or by death all that we are and all that we have we say be glorified in us Lord Jesus. Now church open your hands like this. Now I pray over you church. I say may the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. We invite our prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Remember, if you're new, come and see us at Connect Central. We'd love to meet with you. Coffee and donuts for you. Fellowship hour is coming. We love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday at what time? Good job, church. <laughs>